Welcome to Tech Talks, a podcast hosted by the Rotman Commerce Fintech Association about all things business, finance, and technology. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, and welcome back to the Tech Talks podcast. Today we have with us Rune Christensen, who is the CEO of MakerDAO. So welcome to the podcast, Rune. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Thank you for uh, joining us today. We're so excited to be here and uh, taking time out of your day to be with us. Um, so before we start um, getting into the questions and uh, talking more about MacroDAO, maybe you can uh, give us a bit of an intro about yourself and uh, what MacroDAO is and uh, what was the inspiration behind founding MacroDAO? Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm Rune Christensen. I'm the co-founder of the MakerDAO protocol and CEO of the Maker Foundation. Uh, and yeah, and so, and so Maker is a decentralized finance protocol that backs the DAI stablecoin, which is a cryptocurrency with price stability that's pegged around one US dollar. And so my own background is um, I guess serial entrepreneur coming out of school, doing various uh, businesses around the world. And so, and then I discovered Bitcoin and it was just amazing to me, um, you know, international borderless permissionless currency. Uh, so I really got deep into Bitcoin uh, and then held a lot of Bitcoin myself. And actually by going through the process of, you know, get, you know, the bubbles in Bitcoin and the crashes, I realized that volatility was a huge problem in terms of, it was, it was sort of holding back all of the other advantages that the technology has. So that's where my attention went to stablecoins. And initially I, um, I joined the BitShares project or rather like, um, so joined the BitShares community, I guess you can say, right? Cause these projects are very open. So it's not, you know, I was just a regular community member that was very active. Um, and this was the first project that actually did stablecoins. And ultimately it, it didn't succeed in really executing on its vision and, and becoming uh, successful. Um, but then me and some other peoples from that com- from that community, we actually then went and uh, founded the Maker Protocol on Ethereum uh, about five years ago, actually more than five years ago, and it's now grown uh, tremendously. Right, so the stablecoin itself, the Dai stablecoins, and the sort of the product, the technology launched more than three years ago. Like it's it's actually is like the original uh, DeFi protocol. Um, and it's definitely like an older project in the blockchain space. It's basically integrated everywhere across the DeFi space, like in many different blockchain applications, it really sits at the bottom of the stack as something that others build on top of and, and tap for their decentralized stability. And there's something like um, a bit more than 3 billion DAI stablecoin in circulation that's actually backed by about $8 billion worth of collateral assets. And all of that is done in this decentralized protocol that's running on the blockchain with no company or like single person or single party, single central party that controls it. Um, and, and these various stats can actually be verified in real time by anyone. So you can see exactly the amount of time circulation and exactly the collateral that's backing it. And that's really the, this kind of access, this kind of transparency, that's really the, what's so unique about blockchain and DeFi. Awesome. Yeah, sounds really cool. So MakerDAO seems to have a very particular government structure. So can you explain a little bit about how that works? Sure. So I think first I'll have to, you know, I'll first dive a little bit deeper on exactly how the protocol 
works and, and maintains its stability, right? Because that it's so it's a decentralized stablecoin, right? It's it's money that's worth one dollar, yet it, there's no bank, right? There's no uh, sort of authority that guarantees it, that it will, you know, that that it will redeem your your die stablecoin for a dollar, for instance. Rather, it's an algorithm and a and a blockchain program that actually keeps the stability. And the fundamental way that it's done is through collateral. So I was just talking about that earlier, right? How there's three billion in circulation, but they're actually backed by eight billion dollars worth of collateral assets. And um, and so those collateral assets are th- other cryptocurrency. May, well, for instance, other cryptocurrency like Ethereum, like Bitcoin. And then there's actually also other stable coins. So it's actually also a lot of U.S. dollars backing Dai. Um, so some of that eight billion is also just U.S. dollars that are sitting on the blockchain. And ultimately. Governance for Maker is extremely important because governance is really the question of how do you manage these $8 billion? How do you make sure that the die that's in circulation is safe and, and secure and stable and, you know, um, solvent, right? So you don't suddenly lose your money or it's not stable anymore. And, and, and all of these, like the question of how to deal with that is, is basically all a question of how do you, how do, you do decentralized governance? Um, and Maker definitely pioneered that um, through an approach that's very much focused on, on like a very open community where everything is actually open to, to everyone to participate in decision making and discussion. Um, and they're really, there's actually like, there's, there's like three types of people, like three groups of people that form the decision making and form the governance process in Maker. So first of all, they're the regular community members that um, interact on the chat, right? So we have chat.makerdao.com is, um, is sort of the maker chat, we call it, right? And that's where all of the sort of regular community members hang out and anyone can join, ask questions and, and learn how to use the system or be a part of the making the decisions. It's completely open. Um, there's also a forum and there's you know, Twitter and Reddit and various types of, of ways to, um, to organize and, and discuss the, the, the questions around, you know, let's say, should we add some new collateral or should we, change the parameters of some existing collateral. And it's actually, it's really exciting, right? Because any person can actually come in and be a part of a group of people that make decisions affecting billions of dollars. Um, and and it, even just if you're, you know, a totally random person with no specific credentials or prestige or something like that, if you come in and you make some really good arguments and you actually say something that makes sense, it's going to get adopted. And that has actually happened quite a lot that there are people who just have the passion and the interest and the the inside and actually participating here and just, I mean, potentially having no stake, no, no sort of direct influence, but just through their ideas and their arguments are able to actually make a big difference. Um, and so the second really important group in maker governance are the MKR holders. So these are people who hold a token called MKR, which is so-called governance token that ultimately votes on decisions. So that's how like decisions are implemented in the protocol is through on people voting with these tokens on the blockchain. And then if, you know, if, the, if there's a majority that supports a particular proposal, that proposal is then programmatically executed and actually alters the state of the protocol uh, directly, right? With no intermediary, it actually happens th- directly and, and in a fully decentralized fashion, right? There's not like a management team or something that has to go and carry it out, which is pretty cool. Um, but then finally there is, there is kind of like a team around the, the protocol, which is um, 
In the past, that was the Maker Foundation, and that's also the organization I worked for. But actually, the Maker Foundation is right now in the process of completely dissolving and actually will go away very soon. Um, and it's being replaced by a much more decentralized approach where it's not a single foundation or like a single group, but it's, it's actually this very diverse and, and sort of, um, um, you could say redundant, like spread out group or group of groups in a sense called the core units. So there are multiple different core units and anyone can form a core unit. Um, and essentially it's a place for the maker governance and the maker protocol to allocate budget to, to people doing work for the project. So there are some people doing technical work and some people doing like governance work and risk work and legal work and whatever it may be. Um, it, it's, a, it's also like everything else, a totally open framework where anyone can be a part of it. And so these, each of these three different pieces, they all sort of work together to, to create a very decentralized process that has a lot of checks and balances that ensures that, you know, even if let's say a couple of people with a lot of voting power want to do something, it still has to pass through the broader community and, and have sort of broader appeal than just a bunch of whales, as we call it, right? Like it, it shouldn't just be a few people with a, with a lot of, of power that can just push things through. Um, and additionally, it shouldn't be, you know, there's also things to consider like technical risk of an upgrade that has to be considered by people who are known to be experts, right? You can't just have some random person writing some code and then get that put into the protocol, which, because that could put people's money at risk. So um, there are all these different things to consider and, and Maker has iterated on how to deal with this for, for years at this point. And what we have now isn't even the real end result. It's just gonna continue to evolve further. But I think at this point it's definitely reached a sort of stage of maturity where for instance, it is fully decentralized, right? There really is not even a reliance on the foundation anymore, even though the foundation uh, launched the project. And I think that's, that's really exciting. I mean, that really is, um, that is something completely new that you have decentralized governance that, that actually runs a fully community and sort of an, an open basis. There, there's definitely uh, a lot of interesting things that's been said here. And um, so, just to follow up on that, can you speak more about the decentralized finance or like the DeFi ecosystem and the place uh, DAI has in it? And um, how big of a role do you think um, decentralization specifically to die and also just generally plays in the future of finance um, where is it going uh, decentralized finance is almost like a, a movement or an ecosystem you could call it right where you have many different startups and uh, um, projects and individuals who are writing code and deploying code and basically building financial applications through code that run on the blockchain mainly the ethereum blockchain um, and there's a reason for that because the, the beauty of the power of decentralized finance is everything is interconnected. So everything is built on top of everything else and so can, can work with everything else. And these connections are seamless and permissionless. So it's something you can just go and do. You don't need to like ask for permission or use a special system or approach or something. You can really, really easily interoperate with other systems. So it really lends itself to people focusing on doing one thing and doing that really well, and then letting others do their thing and then just letting them like interoperate and, and synergize that way. And so, so far it's, it's grown massively um, over the last year. It's really grown from something that was a bit of a curiosity to now being 
you know, now there's a there's a, something like fifty billion dollars worth of assets held in DeFi, and it's it's growing exponentially uh, right now. And so, I mean, the future of DeFi is um, it's it's actually interesting because right now I think the ecosystem is at a point where it's starting to sort of reach the limit of what you can do inside the blockchain bubble, as I call it, right? Because right now it's still very isolated. It doesn't really, in, in a way, it doesn't really do anything in the real world yet. It mostly is just like inside blockchain and sort of relate, like it's blockchain related finance. And it's all sort of referencing itself, like all the value, all of the stability mostly comes from assets, yeah. economic activity inside of, yeah, of the blockchain economy in this sort of ecosystem, right? And the next step is that DeFi will begin to interoperate with the real world uh, because that's how it becomes sustainable. I mean, it isn't because it isn't actually sustainable to just have like a blockchain bubble where it's all sort of self-referential, right? It, it needs to actually provide real value to the real world if it's going to stick around for the long term. Um, but that's what a lot of projects are, are really starting to focus on now, uh, including in Maker. There's like the startups building solutions on top of Maker that will allow uh, the die stablecoin to be like borrowed against and ultimately like, essentially would back the die stablecoin with things like commercial real estate um, or trade finance assets and these kind of the tr traditional assets that are used a lot in traditional banking and now they would just be made available for use on the blockchain yeah and i, and I mean and i th actually think that um, once you you sort of crack you crack that nut in a sense like once you manage to really make this um, integration between real-world finance and decentralized finance protocols. Uh, it's going to become totally unstoppable. And really, at some point in the future, it's hard, you know, it's hard to say if it's a decade from now, if it's like it's multiple decades, but eventually the term DeFi will even go away. It won't even, it will just be like a fundamental part of finance. Um, and, the, and the role it will play in the financial system is, is very specific because you could actually see DeFi as innovating in finance sort of from the opposite side of fintech, right? So where fintech went and reinvented like things like mobile, you know, online banking and mobile apps for banking and making it easy to use financial services to the point where, I mean, fintech has been so successful that in a way it's eradicated itself, right? Because nowadays, if someone has an online banking or phone app, that's not considered fintech. That's just what you, that's just the bank, right? And that's what DeFi is doing the same thing, but on the back end. So DeFi is like replacing all of the back end stuff, all of the sort of the paperwork and the contracts and the, the legal connections. And a lot of this stuff can actually be done through DeFi way cheaper and faster and more secure and more transparent and so on, right? So there are all these advantages that also eventually will, um, I think will, uh, will just be, be apparent everywhere. And really will just be like how the banks operate and how the financial institutions operate. And I think specifically to the point about like, what's the, what is the, the advantage of decentralization in this context? And I actually, and I think it's, it's actually very simple. It's, it's basically being a neutral common ground. So it's a place where all of the different banks, all of the different financial institutions, all of the different countries, even they'll, you know, the, it, it would be a hard sell to convince all of the world countries to, you know, to run their financial systems on, let's say, like an American-controlled backend or Chinese-controlled backend, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't like that unless you were either American or Chinese, right? You were the ones benefiting from that. So, the thing about the blockchain and DeFi is it 
it means you can now run it on a neutral packet that you know for sure you can verify and you can prove that nobody controls it. And then you get um, what's often called social scalability, where it just becomes possible for like very, very large network effects to build up because it's, yeah, because basically you have that like element of this is, this doesn't, um, this becomes sort of socially acceptable that let's just all put all of our eggs in, in this basket. Like let's all work together here because none of us benefits on, at the cost of the others. So it's like a real collaboration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. So since DAI isn't super integrated into what you said, the real world finance yet, what would you say right now, what kind of apps support DAI or where is it commonly used? So, um, I mean, so, so mostly used in, in like what's known as DeFi, right? So the, maybe the number one thing that people use DAI for is uh, earning a high interest rate. So there are all sorts of apps out there where basically what you do is you, you buy DAI in some, in some shape or form, like you get it from an exchange or from a merchant of some sort, so you got some DAI. You can even borrow it from Maker, in fact, um, if you're that sophisticated. And then once you have the DAI, you then go and take the DAI and you deposit it into a lending platform or some sort of some other type of, of yield generating platform. And what that platform then does is it either lends out the DAI um, or in some other way, uses it to generate a yield that you then earn, right? And so the, the reason why that's interesting is because you can get things, like it's actually pretty common to get 10% yield on DAI. In fact, that's considered low, despite the fact that that's, you know, in a world where there's negative interest rates in many places, right? So, so it's, a, it's, a, it's a very different, um, you know, it's a big opportunity basically, right? That provides different levels of yield. And that of course comes with, tons of like risk, but also ultimately also just like, a, um, you know, it's hard to, it's still hard to use. So that's actually one of the main drivers why there are there so many opportunities in DeFi It's just because there's still not that many using it. Um, yet there's a lot of money, in, right? I mean, the scale has become quite huge. And on the, on the investment side, for instance, it's, it's massive already. Um, but when it comes to some something that's more in the real world. My favorite example by far is um, that in Buenos Aires in Argentina, there is this economy that has formed that sort of have emerged by itself where you have a lot of Argentinians actually using DAI as a real, like as their currency because they there's hyperinflation in Argentina. So basically in Argentina, every single person, every single day, they, they, they think about changing, like how are they gonna change their money into US dollars, out of US dollars in order to spend them. Um, and and they, you know, they spend a lot of energy like exchanging their currency for, for US dollar paper bills, right? So there's tons of, of uh, like cash, physical cash US dollars in Argentina that, because they, you simply cannot hold Argentine pesos. Like they, they, they inflate, like they lose something about 50% of their value per year. Um, and so with DAI, suddenly there was this, you know, finally they were able to have this digital alternative. Um, so they no longer have to have all of these dollar bills that actually get very, um, you know, they actually break over time because they use them so much and it's not so easy to, to replenish them. Um, so that's, I mean, so I think that's really cool that like, this is just something that emerged by itself. And I, on one hand, I guess it's just the fact it's a dollar. That's, that's actually all you need to, to sell it to, you know, for it to be a very appealing product to Argentinians. 
But on top of that, the fact that it's decentralized and again has this element of, of social scalability is also very appealing because it's basically a country where the people have have felt what happens when you trust institutions and they then fail you, right? So it's so it's it, it's interesting to have a, a financial system and have a sort of an institution that isn't you know that you don't have to trust in a sense. It's just some code, so you don't have to worry about you know the political winds changing and suddenly you know that it'll start hyperinflating as well or something right that all of that uncertainty doesn't exist when you have something that's governed by code um so those i mean so those are just some really those are some of the most obvious examples but actually it is just like used in all sorts of uh sort of uh, in some cases like very strange uh, um kind of examples i mean there's some islands in the pacific that got a lot of uh, foreign aid in dye so then so they use dye there and uh, in Africa, there are some people that use it to actually create, like they use it as a way to create companies because it's possible to use smart contracts on the blockchain to create kind of like a bank account with multiple parties in it. So you don't have to hold. So if you have a company with multiple people and they have a lot of shared money, you don't want a single person to hold, you know, to, to sort of have all the cash in, in his home. And then theoretically, you can just take all the cash and run, right? And that's where, with with um, blockchain technology, you can actually um, you can make it you can split this up, and, and have multiple people have joint control over the money, um, which is is super useful. And that's something you can also do in a bank, but it's just not that like there's many countries in the world where it's really hard to get a bank account. So that's where um, blockchain and DeFi and, and decentralization helps essentially leapfrog all of these uh, issues. Uh, that is uh, very interesting. I haven't heard of uh, starting a company with Dai before, um, so we definitely learn more about that. Um, just to follow up on that, one of the reasons um, why many people um, might have not got into Dai or maybe just uh, its application is a, a bit hard to figure out at the beginning. Um, there's also some other challenges such as government regulations that have been going around and the future of government regulations in DeFi have been very unstable recently. Um, so, so what would you say are some of the biggest challenges in that sense to getting DeFi to the age where the, as you described it, the term DeFi will no longer be used and becoming the new normal in finance? Yeah, I think, I actually think that on the, on the sort of the, the currency side, so to speak, or like when, when it comes to using DAI as a currency, that is actually quite solved in, in many places because the framework that's applied to Bitcoin is just also applied to DAI in, in almost all cases. Um, and, and, and at this point, Bitcoin has actually been around for so long that there is some decent, you know, we know how to apply into money laundering and uh, KYC and all of these things. I mean, that's at this point, that's all understood pretty well. Um, and it's pretty simple to, to use all of those same approaches with that, right? So you make sure that you protect against criminal activity and, and you follow all of the regulations and, you know, and, and, uh, and really have it like function like a, like sort of an, a completely, um, you know, um, upstanding part of, of, of financial transactions in a, in, a, in a country, right? But at the same time, like, first of all, the decentralization of DAI is still maintained. And that's sort of the, that's in a way that's the, that's the constant that you can't even change, right? Because that's sort of one of the, what's unique about 
DeFi and, and decentralized applications is you simply can't sort of regulate the core. You can't even shut it down. Um, you can, of course, create all, all sorts of barriers to entry for the users, but you can't actually do anything directly to the, to the protocol itself. Um, at least when it comes to accessing DAI and sort of accessing currency and accessing like sort of the more retail focused um, part of DeFi. But there is a whole other side to it and that's the collateral side. So that's like the, the that's the part where you take the, the assets and you, and you sort of turn them into things like currencies that pay a yield and so on, right? And, and those assets actually, that's where it becomes a lot more complicated with regulation because um, in, like, as I said, right now, mostly DeFi is, is a bit of a, it's like a, an isolated bubble where everything just um, sort of exists inside this bubble and doesn't really interact so much with the, with the rest of the world. But because you're seeing things like in Argentina, you're starting to see regular people using DAI who don't care at all about crypto or tech, right? They just use it because they need it. And that's increasingly going to happen, um, you know, in more places in the world. So there's just exploding demand for things like DAI and, and other DeFi um, products. And in order to meet that demand, in order to grow the supply of DAI that can be used in Argentina and other countries and, and, and still keep it stable and still keep it secure, you need to grow the collateral. And like, you need to make sure that the assets that back it uh, grow even more and remain very safe and remain very sound. Um, so you don't get a situation like the financial crisis, right? Where you have something that's initially looks like a great financial instrument and everything looks good. And then as it explodes in popularity over time, it actually, like the stuff that's actually backing it becomes total garbage. And then you get, have a crash, right? And people lose all their money. Even, you know, people thought they had plenty of money and they were safe and they had been, they were being prudent and, and uh, you know, their money was taken care of. And then they actually lost all their money, right? Which is tragedy. And it's very important that doesn't happen with DeFi, which is why um, it needs to draw its value, not just from inside the blockchain bubble, but actually needs to go out into the real world. And like I said earlier, right? Needs to use things like real estate, uh, bonds, stocks, commodities, all of this stuff that exists in the real world. And in order to draw on that value in the real world, and in order to have a, a like a reliable claim uh, on that value so that you can actually use it to, to protect the stability of a, of a currency like DAI. You need clear, you need a clear regulatory framework and you need like sort of strong legal guarantees and um, and even like and precedents, right? You need, all of this stuff needs to, to have been done in such a way that you can feel safe actually deploying billions of, of, of dollars into a a particular asset or a particular country, for instance, um, and not having to fear that maybe this country is going to ban crypto or something, right? Um, so I think that's like that—that's a big that—that that is the big challenge. That sort of is the big question with regulation: that that where exactly what are these safe haven countries where you can initially go and you can actually put a lot of money at risk, so to speak, or more like under their care essentially, and have that actually interact with DeFi um, and be sure that the local authorities are fine with it, right? They understand what's happening. And also that you're complying again with all the regulations and laws and um, doing AML, KYC, and making sure all the taxes are paid, making sure you follow securities laws or commodities laws or whatever, you, you know, financial regulation. Um, and 
and it and that is a that is a completely new type of challenge that's very different from sort of the code and technical stuff that DeFi has mostly been about. But in some in some communities, in so for instance, the maker community, this has been a focus for years at this point. So there is actually some pretty good answers at this point and, and also some decent understanding of what are the safe places to to put these assets initially and also how can you know what is what is happening what kind of developments are happening that will make it more safe in a particular place yeah well thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today rune it was so great to chat with you you shared a lot of information so i definitely learned a lot yeah yeah me too i i don't really um you know i don't really have a lot of background about blockchain applications um so just uh the, the way you introduce a lot of things make it simple and uh Thank you so much for coming on to our podcast and taking the time out for your day to be with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Tech Talks. We'll see you in the next one.